Welcome to The Marcus Warren Show, powered by 960 Digital and the Wealth Empowerment Network. Now, here is your host, Marcus Warren. Uh, here we go on a Wednesday. It's The Marcus Warren Show, the number one retirement and tax planning show in the region. I am your host, financial advisor, tax enrolled agent, and author of the Retirement and Tax Playbooks, Marcus Warren. And I hope everyone is doing well on this Wednesday. And to my left, I am joined by our resident tax professional, D. How you doing, D? Hello, and happy Wednesday. And remember that if you miss any parts of the show and you want to catch up on anything you missed, all you have to do is subscribe to the Marcus Warren Show podcast via Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast. Also, throughout the show, we will be offering our Retirement Rescue Game Plan which is a physical packet of information that will help rescue your retirement from all the risks that threatens your nest egg once you are close and in retirement. Now, in that game plan, you'll get a copy of my two books, a few different financial reports, and access to my webinar entitled Taxes in Retirement. Now, you can order that by going to Marcus, sorry, by going to warrenwealth.net, warrenwealth.net, Go to the site, put in your information, and that retirement rescue game plan will be delivered free of charge to your front door. Once again, all you have to do to get the retirement rescue game plan is go to warrenwealth.net. All right. Um, So uh, we are in the midst of kind of a, a fall break. That's right. It was summer for um, a little bit when it was hot and now it, it, the temperature has dropped and now we have fall for a little, you know, at least another couple of days. And then finally we're going to step into spring. And, um, I, I, I'm not a fan of the hot weather. I was enjoying these, these mild temperatures and, you know, unfortunately now, um, it's going to start to get hot again, which I'm not a fan of the heat. Um, I know most are, are you a big fan of the heat? Yeah. I like, I like, I like when it's warm. I like, uh, you know, going, jumping in the pool, cooling off, jumping in the, in the water. Yeah, yeah, not me. No, you're, you're skeptical. I am. I'm a little skeptical, but, uh, you know, to each his own. To each I mean, I own. prefer, you know, I think everybody prefers the spring mild weather over heat, over I, intense heat or I would, intense cold. I would cold. think so, but, but, you know, believe it or not, there are some people who really like summer and, and, and like the hot and the heat and all that stuff, mm. but I am not one of those. Anyway, let's get to Money Matters. Here comes the money. Here we go. Money talks. Here comes the money. All right. So um, let's go way, way back. Let's go way back to uh, 1907. That's what we're going to go back to. Okay. So um, in 1907, uh, amidst uh, rising interest rates and a declining stock market, um, uh, there were two New York bankers. They attempted to corner um, the stock of a, co- of, of a copper company. And, of course, their little scheme collapsed. And depositors at the banks that backed them, they pulled all their money out. Uh, one of the bank was uh, Knickerbocker Trust Bank. But they, they lacked the capital uh, to withstand the, the bank run, and they ended up having to, to shut down. Now, Back then, uh, J.P. Morgan, who was the uh, preeminent banker and business leader, he saw an obligation and an opportunity. So what he did, uh, legend goes, that he gathered the heads of 
New York banks, uh, all the heads of the New York banks at his at, at his mansion in his mansion, and uh, the story goes that he locked the doors and basically said, uh, "This is the place that we need to stop the panic, stop the trouble." And he was the first one to address his obligation, and he said, "You know what? To save the system, um, and by, by the way, which built his wealth, um, he pledged eight million dollars." Um, to uh, the Trust Company of America, which was another bank that would have collapsed after uh, that Knickerbocker truck, uh, Trust Company. Uh, by the way, $8 million loan is about $255 million in today's dollars. Um, and the other banks uh, followed suit along with the U.S. Treasury, and they deposited about $70 million into the other vulnerable banks. And thus, the panic of 1907 it subsided, and Morgan, he essentially saved the financial system. Now, so what J.P. Morgan understood was that banking and really the economy, it's not built on um, labor or gold um, spreadsheets, even today, algorithms, um, but it's built on trust. Trust that when you deposit your money in the bank, that is going to be there when you need it. And back then in 1907, that trust was um, severed or ruptured when um, that trust company, they said, you know what, we ain't got it. We can't do it. And J.P. Morgan wanted to ensure that trust and say, yes, they do have it. We can help. And then once again, uh, people started to trust the banks again. You see, because banks are built on trust. Banks need your trust because they don't actually have your money. When you deposit cash at the bank, they take it and they loan it to someone else. Uh, In fact, banks loan out even more than they take in. But it's the cornerstone of our economy. And I talked about this a a few weeks ago um, or a couple of months, months ago. But basically what they do is they turn short-term deposits into long-term loans. And this is a good thing, by the way, because money just sitting there not doing anything, it doesn't fund startups. It doesn't help expand existing companies. It doesn't encourage consumers, us, to do what we do best, and that is to consume. So what people need to understand is that every bank – is vulnerable to a bank run if enough people ask for their money on the same day. If, let's say, uh, Bank of America. If Bank of America's 67 million customers simultaneously withdrew their funds in the same day, the same week, or the same month, Bank of America wouldn't have it. They would fail. Now, J.P. Morgan, back in 1907, They didn't just see this as an obligation. They also saw it as an opportunity. So, um, you know, in the, in the uh, aftermath of the panic of 1907, you know, Morgan, um, he called in the loans that he made and he went shopping for distressed assets. He acquired six banks, uh, including the trust company of America. Uh, He, he uh, acquired a, a, a steamship line, And he also acquired uh, the second largest steel company uh, in the U.S. 
Why the second? Because he already owned the first. So by 1913, the officers of J.P. Morgan and Company, they sat on the board of 112 public companies representing 80% of the public market capitalization in the country back in 1913. So let's fast forward to uh, today. So um, regulators, uh, they seized uh, the troubled assets of uh, First First Republic Bank on Monday. By, by the way, making it the second largest bank failure in U.S. history. And they promptly sold all of its deposits and most of its assets to, wait for it, J.P. Morgan Chase. It's basically, um, what is it, the third mid-sized bank failure in the last couple of months. The only um, a larger bank failure uh, was Washington Mutual back in 2008, which collapsed um, uh, during the financial crisis and was taken over by, wait for it, J.P. Morgan Chase in a similar kind of government-orchestrated deal. So, you know, so you know, now there, there could be questions now about the size of J.P. Morgan Chase, uh, which has more than $3 trillion in assets and is really by far it's the biggest of the two big-to-fail banks around the world. Um, and regulators uh, basically permitted the country's biggest bank to get even bigger, right? Um, <clears throat> J.P. Morgan right now, they are, they're, 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 really, they're, they're so big that really by law, uh, it wouldn't be allowed to buy First Republic because uh, no one bank can have more than 10% market share of deposits in the United States. But it's because of First Republic's failure that J.P. Morgan was able to step in. In. So once again, J.P. Morgan Chase, going all the way back to 1907 to here we are in 2023. They're the nation's biggest bank with a reputation of, of deal-making uh, during times of crisis. Um, and they're, I guess, the government's go-to bank now, right? Um, like I said, back in 2008, uh, Jamie Dimon, who's the CEO of, of uh, Chase Bank right now, um, you know, he was the one who acquired uh, Washington Mutual and Bear Stearns back in 2008. And uh, today, um, or really on Monday, First Republic's uh, 84 branches, they opened up as J.P. Morgan Chase. Um, and they got, J.P. Morgan Chase got $92 billion in deposits. And they assumed $203 billion in loans and other securities from First Republic. Um, so there you go. Um, now, what, you know, a lot of people, um, you know, are, are a lot of the, uh, the pundits out there, um, you know, they may uh, talk about this narrative of bank failures and these three bank failures in the last three months and blah, 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 blah. But I see uh, something a little bit different. I see our system at work. I see FDIC insurance coming in and insuring people's deposits and people who have uninsured deposits, meaning um, uh, money above and beyond the $250,000 limit that FDIC insures, you have other banks. And of course, here in this case, JP Morgan coming in and basically saying, you know what, business as usual, 
everything is fine. And so, you know, like I said, what you'll see is uh, a lot of, um, you know, people pushing the panic button and, uh, um, you know, going off the rails. But what I say, what, but what I see is, um, our system at work, uh, things worked out for the best. And for the most part, nothing is as good as it seems, but more importantly, nothing is as bad as it seems. I think uh, the banking system and our financial system is is fine. Uh, I get asked that question a lot. I got asked about it when uh, uh, Silicon Valley Bank failed and uh, so the Signature Bank failed. Um, and now we have another one. Uh, but I echo the same sen- sentiments because um, we have been fine. And I feel that we will continue to be fine. So there you go. Had to address that. All right, coming up next, we're going to dive into your emails. You're listening to The Marcus Warren Show. All right, got some uh, James Brown playing. Start the segment. This, of course, is I Got You. I feel good. Yeah, you do, James. By James Brown. This song came out in 1964. Okay. Number three in the U.S. A top 30 hit in the U.K. Oh, come on. Yeah, you know. You know, it is what it is. Anyway. Welcome back to the show. The Marcus Warren Show. Remember that you can request your retirement rescue game plan. All you have to do is go to warrenwealth.net. Uh, the Retirement Rescue Game Plan will help rescue your retirement from all the risks that threatens your nest egg, such as market risk, inflation risk, and most importantly, tax rate risk. You got to protect your hard-earned money from the IRS. Once again, all you got to do is go to warrenwealth.net. All right, so um, let's. Uh, we were talking about the um, the First Republic uh, bank failure in the last segment. Um, of course, had to address that because people are. Of course, asking questions um, and, you know, the sky is falling and, you know, some news organizations are reporting that the sky is falling, but it is not. Um, But what we want to get to is what you all want and you all want your questions answered via the questions that we receive via email. Yes, it's email, email time, time to check the mail. Hey folks, if you have a question for Marcus, just visit warrenwealth.net, click on the Ask Marcus button, and your question might be featured on the show. If it's a good one, again, go to warrenwealth.net, click the Ask Marcus button if you want to ask us a question. Uh, First question today is from Elizabeth. Um, She says, I'm eligible for the catch-up contribution in my 401k this year, but I don't really like the fund options in my 401k. Does it make sense to just invest extra money into a brokerage account instead? Well, um, good question, Elizabeth. So um, catch-up contributions, for those of you who don't know what the catch-up contribution is for like a company retirement plan or a 401k, basically, um, and she has a 401k, um, when you turn 50 years of age, um, you are able to contribute a little bit more to your um, 401k. So, um, right now, if you're under 50, you can contribute uh, up to t- uh, $22,500 uh, for 2023. But you get a catch-up contribution uh, when you're 50 of $7,500, making your total contribution max for your 401k $30,000. So you can contribute 
$30,000 to your 401k. Now, Elizabeth says, hey, I know I can, but I don't like the fund options in the 401k. And generally, when you have a company retirement plan, you are limited to whatever funds they have in that plan. So they'll have, you know, 10 to 15, sometimes 20 plus funds that you can choose from. And you're kind of limited on uh, a lot of those those choices. And so um, does it make sense to invest um, that extra money in a brokerage account? Not sure where you're getting the extra money from. Um because you just have you're you're able to contribute extra um, in, into uh, that 401k, but um, I my recommendation is this: what I generally say because I, I deal with with taxes and I think that taxes are going to be a lot higher in the future. A 401k is basically a tax deferred account, meaning that yes, you get that that tax break up front, but eventually uh, you're going to have to pay the piper once you pull that money out. And so all you're basically doing with, with the 401k is deferring your taxes until much further in the future. And I think much further in the future, taxes are going to be a lot higher. So contribute, at least contribute up to the max so you can get that free money. That's always my recommendation. And then you can look for other options, um, whether that be an outside brokerage account where you pay capital gains on outside brokerage accounts. Um, if you uh, pull that money out, you're paying capital gains, which is a more favorable rate than ordinary income. But then you can also in, invest in or open up some sort of Roth uh, account, Roth IRA, something like that, where uh, you put your money in and it grows tax deferred and you take it out and it's tax free. So um, you might want to look at options like that if you're concerned uh, about um, uh, taxes, which I think is a main concern because one of the things I always say is you do not have a full retirement plan unless you have a tax strategy and account for taxes. So just remember that that 401k, if you do put money in that 401k, it is a tax deferred account down the line as it grows and grows and grows. When you pull that money out, it is going to be taxed. And you're taxed at whatever tax rates are at the time that you pull that money out. So you have to be cognizant about that. So think about those things. If you need more help, um, Elizabeth, you can always uh, go to our website, warmwealth.net, and uh, schedule that 15-minute phone call, and we can go from there. Uh, What else we got? Okay, next one is from Dawn. She said, I've had to start taking care of my mom and my mother-in-law recently. Both are in their late 80s, early 90s. Wow. That's good. It got me thinking about long-term care insurance for myself and my husband. What is the best way to go about this? So, um, wow, that that's um, that's a good question. You know, it's it's you know, it's always good to think about long-term care because um, uh, most people don't think about it, and the statistics are in. If someone turns sixty-five years old today they have a 70% chance of needing long-term care services sometime down the road. And that is a huge uh, number and a huge statistic to think about. And so most people will at least need some form of long-term care, whether that's having to go into a facility, having home health care, whatever that is, um, or even even from a long-term care standpoint, having 
uh, a relative like like you are, uh, Dawn, taking care of, um, you know, mom or grandmother, what, um, whatever you're doing, mother-in-law, uh, whatever that may be. And so um, I do get the question about, all right, is it good to go with uh, by some sort of long-term care insurance? What should I do? It's expensive as you get older. Um, and, you know, when, when, when you think about traditional long-term care, traditional long-term care is, um, you know, you go to an insurance company and uh, it kind of works like um, um, car insurance or homeowner's insurance, meaning that you pay for it, you pay for it, hoping you never need to use it, right? You, you get your car insurance and you pay, 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 hoping you never get into a wreck. But as you pay, 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 and you never get into a wreck, that money's gone. Same with homeowner's insurance. Same with long-term, traditional long-term care insurance. You pay, 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 pay. You may die never needing to go to a long-term care facility, and that money is gone. And a lot of times that is one of the main objections that people have is, why do I want to pay something uh, for, for something that I may not need? And uh, my question is, uh, well, um, number one, statistics show that somebody, you and or your spouse, may need it. And then two, I have seen people who don't have long-term care insurance and someone goes into a facility and it can decimate a retirement account. Um, Luckily, there uh, have been uh, new forms of long-term care or ways that you can pay for long-term care uh, by not going that traditional long-term care route. There are hybrid uh, policies out there that is um, life insurance based, meaning that it's basically a life insurance policy. And, you know, you pay, 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 pay for that, and you die never needing long-term care. At least your beneficiaries will get some sort of death benefit, right, upon your, upon your death. So it's not like you're paying for something that yeah, you don't use and you just lose it. Secondly, since it is uh, an underlying life insurance policy, a lot of times it's easier to get approved for it. With traditional long-term care, um, underwriting is based on morbidity, versus life insurance where it's, where it's based on mortality. So traditional long-term care, the underwriters are looking at what is the likelihood that you will uh, need to go into a facility, which I said earlier, that the chances are fairly high. And so it's, it's, it can be difficult to get approved for traditional long-term care at the older you get. Versus life insurance, which is based on mortality, they just want to, the actuaries just want to uh, do their uh, do, do their calculations to find out when you may possibly die. So a lot of times, it's a lot easier getting underwriting and getting approved for life insurance. Um, so you might want to consider that. Also, there are some other caveats about the way that um, this, these long-term care benefits are paid out. If it is a traditional long-term care policy, you have to pay. You have to pay first. Submit all your receipts. Make sure it's approved, and then you get your money. Uh, then you get reimbursed. Versus a hybrid type life insurance type policy with a long term care benefit. You basically the the moment you cannot do two out of the six activities of daily living, and a doctor can confirm that you're automatically going to get a portion of your death benefit paid out in advance, and you can use that for um, a facility, home health care, things of that nature. And so um, it does make sense to look into long-term care. Just like I said, people who don't have it and a spouse or someone has to go to a facility, um, it can really 
a throw a monkey wrench into those retirement plans. So, Don, I would definitely, definitely um, at least get quoted on some long-term care insurance, uh, whether it's the hybrid or even the, the traditional. Uh, if you need assistance with that, of course, we can do that here. Just go to warrenwealth.net, and we can schedule that quick 15-minute phone call. All right, um, let's do this. Uh, we still have a few more that we need to get to, but we're uh, pressing against time, so let's take a break. Uh, we will be back coming up next. We will answer more of your emails, and if we have time, we may even have a tax corner with D. You are listening to The Marcus Warren Show. Oh, yeah. Now, this is a good way to start the segment with Stevie Wonder. Oh, yeah. So, this is Higher Ground. Yes. Um, my little, little Stevie Wonder. That's what he was known you know, back in the day when he was a, maybe little. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> this song came out That's in it. 1973. Yeah. Number four. Again, in the U.S. Okay. And a uh, top 30 hit in the uh, U.K. Oh, man, U.K.? Come on. It's good stuff. Good, good stuff. You got to love it anyway. Welcome back to the show, The Marcus Warren Show. Remember that you can request your retirement rescue game plan. All you have to do is go to warrenwealth.net. Now, you may be asking yourself, what is that retirement rescue game plan, Marcus? Well, it is a physical packet of information that is delivered free of charge to your front door that has a copy of my two books, a few different financial reports, and access to my webinar entitled Taxes and Retirement. A lot of good stuff. All you have to do is go to warrenwealth.net, put in your information, and it is delivered to your front door. Or your mailbox, if it can fit. There you go. All right, so um, uh, what are we doing now? Oh, we are going to answer more of your emails. Yes, it's email, email time. It's time to check the mail. Hey, folks, if you have a question for Marcus, just visit warrenwealth.net. Click on the Ask Marcus button, type in your question, hit submit, and it might be featured on the show. Just go to warrenwealth.net. Click on the Ask Marcus button if you want to ask us a question. Next one today is from Patty. She says, how do I know when it's the right time to collect Social Security benefits? I've heard friends who have been taking it at 62 and others who wait until 70. What's the point in waiting? Am I missing out? Um, she got some FOMO. Yeah, Patty has some FOMO. I know, missing out. That's funny. Um, so, Patty, um, you know, I get, I get asked this question all the time. People have their own ideas. You know, some people take it and wait till 70. Some take it at 62. But the bottom, bottom line is this. You are eligible for Social Security at 62 years old. And you can wait and you can take it as late as 70. Now, some of the caveats about that is when you take it at 62, you are going to get 70 cents on the dollar. So you're not getting your full benefit. Matter of fact, most people take Social Security early. They take it before their full retirement age. Now, speaking of full retirement age, what is full retirement age? Full retirement age is the age where you get 100% of your benefits. Now, um, 
it for some it's 66 in two months, 66 in 11 months, whatever it may be. They just recently raised it to 67. So right now for people born after a certain date, they uh, have to wait until 67. They'll probably raise that age again by the time I take it. Um, full retirement age, you know, could be 87. Uh, D, by the time you take it, um, it might not even be around. Oh, so no. there you go. But uh, at full retirement age, you get 100% of the benefit. Now, to take another step back, which you have to think about if you take it early at 62 or at 63, 64, or even before full retirement age, if you are still working, there will be a penalty if you make over uh, a certain amount of money. And I think it's a little over 18 or so thousand, maybe over $19,000 now. But uh, if you make over, if you're, if you're working, make over around $19,000 and you're taking social security early, then you will be penalized for a dollar for every $2 that you make. So you have to be aware of that also. Now, once you get to full retirement age and you're taking social security um, and you're still working, then that penalty basically goes away, all right? Now, if you don't need it at full retirement age and you can afford to wait until age 70 or 68, 70, what you need to understand is that uh, once you hit full retirement age, and we'll say full retirement age is 66 for, for some, you can wait four more years and each and every one of those years, you get an 8% bump in your benefit, so, technically, you could basically get 132% of your uh, Social Security benefit at age 70 if you were to wait. And so, when should you take it, Patty? It really just depends. Um, it depends um, on, number one, if you need the money, then, of course, you need to take it. Um, you should look at family health history. If people in your family have a history of not living too long, then you might want to take it early so you can get more bang for your buck. If people in your family live, you know, well into their 90s uh, plus, then, you know, and you can afford it, then maybe you do want to wait um, and take that benefit later. But it really all just depends. Um, you know, we do Social Security analysis here in the office, um, and look to see the best way that the best ways that people can maximize social security. So, um, if you want to do that, you can always uh, go to warrenwealth.net and uh, schedule that uh, fifteen minute uh, phone call, and we can see uh, what works for you, Patty. I think another consideration uh, that people might not think about is um, the longer you wait to take social security, if you do have to pull from your retirement accounts instead, then you're depleting those a little bit faster um, and maybe potentially leaving less to heirs if that's something that's important to you. So that's a consideration to think about. Yes. Very good. Very good. What else we got? Okay. Next one is from Danny. He says, I sold my house last year and received more than what I paid for it. I read that I won't have to pay taxes if I have less than $40,000 in income. Is this true? Okay. Well, um, it's an interesting number. (coughs) Well, kind of. So, um, well, it's like this. Number one, if it is your primary home, there's already a exclusion that you have for selling your home. So um, if it is your primary residence and you live there and you're single, Danny, and we'll assume you're single for this um, illustration, then you can exclude. You don't have to pay taxes on uh, $250,000 gain. So if you bought your house for $50,000, 
and you sold it for $300,000, you gained $250,000, and you have that in, in, in profits, you, are, you don't have to pay taxes on that. It is an exclusion. By the way, if you were married, double that, and that is $500,000 primary sale exclusion. So that's good stuff. Now, um, I think you may have asked about do you have to pay capital gains tax or taxes um, if you have less than $40,000 in income. And um, I am going to uh, assume that you asked because um, our capital gains rate, and our, basically um, we have um, your ordinary income rates, which most people are uh, accustomed to. That's basically um, the tax that you're paying on basically labor for the most part, for, for, for um, the money you make from your, your job. And then you have this capital gains tax rate, which is what you basically make off of capital that earns something, right? So if you buy, you buy a stock, you sell it for a profit, you have a capital gain and you have to pay taxes on that. Um, you buy a house, um, say it's a, a house that you don't live in, a rental property, you buy it for a certain amount, you sell it for more, you have a capital gain and you generally have to pay taxes on that. Now, the capital gains tax rate is a more favorable tax rate than ordinary income. The maximum capital gains rate right now is 20%. The maximum ordinary income tax rate is uh, 37%. Now, you asked uh, if you make less than $40,000, do you have to pay capital gains? Um, and if you are single, well, that answer is no, you do not. So um, our capital gains rate, it goes from zero to 20%. So there's a 0% rate, there's a 15% rate in the middle, and then the max is 20%. If you're single and you make, actually, if you make less than $44,000, then there is no capital, you, there is no capital gains. You do not have to pay capital gains. Um, if you make between, you know, $44,000 all the way up to $490,000, then you have to pay 15% in capital gains and anything, if you're single, anything above 490 some thousand dollars, then you, you pay that 20%. And if you're married, just double all that. So if uh, you're a married couple and you make um, $89,000 or less, then you don't have to pay any capital gains. Um, and then you can look up the rest uh, to see when you pay 15% and 20%. But, um, you know, those are things that um, you always have to take into account um, when people have uh, uh, investment accounts outside of a company retirement plan. Um, capital gains rates do apply. If you have rental properties, um, any other investments that, that appreciate in value and you look to sell those, then capital gains rates apply. Um, and so you have to be cognizant and have some sort of strategy of how to minimize those taxes, um, you know, when you sell something. So that's something, of course, that we specialize in in our office, and we can always help anyone out in regards to, uh, to taxes, whether it's ordinary income taxes or even capital gains taxes. All right, let's, uh, I think we got time for one more. Let's do one more. Okay. Uh, this one is from Helen. She says, I was notified by the Social Security Administration that mm -mm. my monthly Medicare premiums are going up because they took into account my income from two years ago. Is there any way to avoid this increase? No. Next question. Okay. No. Um, but, no, there's not. So, what Helen has fallen a victim of, a victim, <laughs> is um, <laughs> what's called IRMA, right? Um, Who? 
Irma, I don't know who that, what, what does that stand for? I don't know. It stands for something. Uh, income related adju- Medicare adjustments. Oh, there you go. There you go. That's where we got this tax professional right here in front of me. Um, so, yeah, so basically you're falling victim to Irma, which they look at the, they, meaning uh, the IRS, they look at your last two years of income. And if you uh, hit certain thresholds, then um, your Medicare uh, premiums could potentially go up. And so, um, you know, that's something that, um, you know, I think always needs to be accounted for because higher cost in retirement means more money is uh, going out for those higher fees and costs and taxes and whatever it may be, and less is going into your pocket. Um, So ways to potentially avoid the increase, uh, Helen, um, if you're tax diversified, meaning you have money in all three tax buckets, taxable, tax deferred, and tax-free buckets, then you can kind of choose where you receive your income from. So um, if you pull money from the tax-free bucket, which is things like your Roth uh, IRAs or Roth 401ks, then uh, that does not count um, against the calculation to determine how much, uh, if, if, if your um, Medicare premiums are going to go up. Also, when you pull from your, uh, that tax-free bucket, that Roth um, IRAs or Roth 401ks, uh, it also doesn't count um, against the calculations that determine how much of your Social Security is taxed. So there are some things that you can do to minimize taxes in retirement. Like I said, Helen, we are also tax experts in addition to being uh, investment advisors and knowing about investments. Uh, we are also tax advisors. So um, if you need more additional help, of course, hit us up and we can answer any of your questions. All right. There we go. All right, so coming up next, we are going to uh, get into some news you, you can use and news you can't use. You're listening to The Marcus Warren Show. All right. We got some Aretha going on. Obviously, this song is called Chain of Fools. Came out in 1967. Number two in the U.S. Yeah. And a top 45 hit in the U.K. Aretha? Aretha, yeah. Man, uh, they're harsh over there. They are harsh. Yeah, they are. Good song. Yes. All right, welcome back to the uh, Marcus Warren Show. Uh, so we played, um, Aretha mm-hmm. and we played James Brown. That's right. And it's interesting because, um, both of them died, um, with, um, estate issues, estate, tax issues, tax mm-hmm. issues and will issues because mm-hmm. they didn't you know, have proper estate plans, um, and account for, for taxes and beneficiaries and all that stuff. Oh, and Stuff's been in litigation for a long time, um, uh, but uh, you, know, you got you gots to have that plan, and that's one of the things that we provide here: are plans for folks who um, who need it. Uh, and even if you don't think you need it, you need to get your stuff reviewed because it's important, especially when you pass on. You want to make sure that your affairs are in, or, are in order and your heirs aren't paying more in taxes than they receive. Anyway, uh, it's time to get to uh, some news. You can use.
Well, Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen said that the U.S. government could become unable to pay all of its bills on time as soon as June 1st if Congress doesn't raise the debt limit before that date. President Biden has invited Republicans and Democrats to Capitol Hill to meet next week to discuss raising the country's roughly $31.4 trillion borrowing limit. Uh, This new estimate was released on Monday, sets a shorter timeline than forecasters had previously expected. They thought that we would have to raise the debt limit by July, but now they're saying the government uh, won't be able to pay its bills even sooner than expected. And it's funny how the solution is to just... Yeah, Take on more credit? Yeah, that, that's that's how we've done things, by the way, forever. You just increase the the limit on the credit card, and all things will be fine. It's Finance 101. Yeah, it's either that or, um, you know, we can, they can always raise taxes, but, you know, that's there not going to fly. Oh, okay. That takes basically an act of Congress also. Well, and actually, um, that's part of the reason why that timeline has increased is because the tax revenue that came in during this this, this first quarter wasn't, wasn't as high as they expected it to be. And yeah. so now they're thinking, hey, we need, we're going to need money a lot sooner than expected. Of course, Republicans are trying to force Democrats to agree to spending cuts in exchange for raising the debt limit. Democrats don't want to make any other changes uh, tied to the debt limit question. So we'll see if, um, you know, our government defaults on its bills. Probably not. Probably Probably not. They always go to the brink and then they end up raising the debt limit. So um, a nothing burger. What else you got? (laughs) Investors are pouring money into actively managed exchange traded funds known as ETFs. Active funds only make up a small sliver of the roughly $7 trillion ETF market. Less than 6% of total assets are actively traded, but they have attracted about 30% of the total inflows to ETFs so far this year. Um, And now these ETFs are bringing some more complex trading strategies to the masses as individual investors buy stocks and ETFs at a record pace. This may or may not be a good thing if we were to really look at history. Um, You know, we talk about passively managed investments that are broad and diversified. Some of these uh, and research has shown that actively traded funds do not beat out the general stock market. So this is just another case of emotional investing. Um, uh, Analysts are saying that the reason investors are pouring money into actively traded funds is because of the market volatility that we've seen. Um, And it's weird that they're that they're um, going to actively traded funds, because just like you said, historically, you know, these um, mutual fund or ETF managers, these money managers, they don't beat just the regular index oh, fund, mm-hmm. index ETF. Yeah. Um, a lot of smoke and mirrors. What uh, Vanguard know, was built on. So, you know, so you forth know? And, 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 and so on. And so, um, yeah, I mean, I mean, you know, to each his own, I guess, but that's probably not yeah. the right move. Number one, there's an added fee in there when you have an actively managed versus Correct. a passively managed Correct. Fund. About 0.7 expense ratio compared to 0.16 for passive. So that's a six-fold increase that's in right. the fee um, just to, to have uh, somebody not do as well right. as the other. <laughs> exactly. exactly. 
All right, let's do another. All right. Well, um, probably this is this correlates. The workers and retirees have less faith that they will have enough money to live comfortably. Maybe don't invest in actually traded funds. I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, a recent uh, non uh, or recent uh, survey from uh, the Employee Benefit Research Institute says that 64% of those still working reported feeling confident about their financial prospect, which is down from the prior year. About 18% of Americans feel very confident down also from the prior year. Among retirees, 73% of those polled said that they are somewhat or very optimistic about their ability to live comfortably, which is down from the prior year. Uh, The share of retirees reporting a high degree of confidence fell to 27%. So, you know, the economy, of course, inflation, uh, uh, down market... Leaving people well, okay, a little well, bit hesitant. A couple of things. One is, um, yeah, we had a down market last year. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, this year, um, you know, we're fairly flat. It's been, you know, it's been flat. We had a, a you know, a rough, um, you know, couple of days so far. Um, but um, you have to have a plan, meaning that, especially if we're talking about, you um, investments and things of that nature Mm -hmm. as you get older you shouldn't have as much at risk yeah so the stark stock market fluctuations shouldn't matter as much as they would for somebody who is uh you know 40 50 years old and then you know inflation is starting to come down by the way you want to know why inflation is or you can you, you know that inflation is going down for all you all of you i bond investors are knowing that back in the day you could get an i bond for over 9% and now because inflation is down now those i bonds are about 4.3% so we know inflation at least is headed in the right direction which is down um you know, and it's really about your personal economy. Stop, uh, people feel bad getting all this bad news that they see mm-hmm. all the time and they think it, it, it reflects their investments. Mm-hmm. And then you'll, you'll actually look at where they are and they're absolutely fine. Yes. But they spend their time watching these shows and all the doom and gloom and they feel like, you know what, I got to get out. Uh, things are bad. Uh, I need to get into gold or whatever it may be. And they do, you know, these, these silly things sometimes that, uh, may uh, not be beneficial for them in the future. You know, that's what I say. Anyway. Yeah, unfortunately, I think people just take advantage of fear uh, in, in times like when there is, um, when the economy is, you know, down and the market's down and yep. people take advantage of that fear and, and that's just how it is. That is how it is. And thank you, D, for that news you can use. And if we left you with that. Actually, you wouldn't be satisfied. You want to know why? Because people want what they came here for, and it's not the news you can use. It's the news that you can't use. Well, you probably have heard about the Tiger King. Yeah. Connecticut man known as the Croc King is... Just got ate by his croc. Seeking a Guinness World Record recognition for his collection of more than 2,000 pairs of Crocs footwear. (laughs) Croc King. Yes, that's right. This man's name, I don't know if this is his real name, Doogie Lish Sandtiger said that his initial distaste for the rubber clogs changed when he got his first pair at the age of 16. Since then, he has collected... How how old is this dude? He's 32. Crocs uh, Crocs have been around that long? Apparently. Okay. 
last 16 years, yep. So uh, now his collection features 2,127 different pairs of Crocs, and he re- regularly updates this count on his Instagram page. That's ridiculous. Um, yes. Uh, collection also includes celebrity collaborations and promotional shoes like the chicken fried scent. The fried chicken scented KFC Crocs. There's really. There is a. Now, uh, yeah, the last want. thing I want my feet to smell like <laughs> is fried chicken. And I, I love fried chicken, but I, but that's the last scent that I would want to put on my feet. Yeah. And Crocs. Yes. Aren't. For, this dude, how old is this guy? 32? He's, He's 32. in his 30s. Mm-hmm. And he started when he was 16. Yes. That, that's a little old for Crocs to me. I, you know, I think Crocs <laughs> are for kids. Old. Yeah. You know, I mean, I know yeah. now they, you know, a lot of. Um, Chefs and stuff wear wear these Crocs rubber, and stuff. Comfortable, maybe in the kitchen. I, I guess, but yeah. I don't know. I see Crocs. Yeah, uh, yeah I see grown uh, men wearing Crocs, and yeah. you know, judge, I, it, you it, judge I, them. I, I You're judging, right? It, it's, mm-hmm. it's it's like, what do you what what are we doing here? What are mm. we doing? Like what comfort? Are we doing? Mm. Comfort? No. Over no. style? No, they're they're kid shoes to oh. me. Mm. They're just yeah. my 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 son who's you know twelve has you know a couple a couple of pair of Crocs. But uh, but you would never be caught wearing those. No, and 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 once he's sixteen, if he asks me for some Crocs, he's yeah. not, and I'm gonna say, get up out of here, no. kid. Hmm. Heck no. Interesting. Anyway, Interesting. what else you got? One more. All right, an 82 <laughs> year old woman is the world's oldest female hockey player, according to the Guinness Book of World Records. Linda Sinrod of Virginia, before you make a comment, was a figure skater before becoming a founding member of the first women's hockey team in the Washington, D.C. area. She's played for 10 years. She then left the team for a decade before reconnecting with her former teammates and joining the team again at age 67. Okay. She said her teammates asked her to leave the Wildcats team at age 75 because she was struggling to keep up with them, but she didn't want to give up. But she did not want to give up her love of the game of hockey so she started playing in a woman's league that allowed her to continue to play at age 82 oh my gosh that 82. is that's no now you would think that you know that's a nice old story but it's not it is a nice story it's not it's, it's ridiculous not- and hockey what do we like i i, I don't want to see it but i would like to see this hockey league i mean there's probably no checks no yeah. i mean there's no fight i'm sure they like, don't fight why not? That's what hockey is. You would, that, she's 82. Check you into the wall. Yeah. You know, knocking yeah. you down. Mm-hmm. You know. Sure. And cold, old, cold hockey, it, 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 it doesn't go because bones are brittle. Oh, yeah. And you get hit, you fall down. Listen. I mean, that's what she wants rough. to do. This is that's, what she wants to do. That's embarrassing. They tried I to mean, push her away, nervous. and she said, no, I'm coming back. Yeah, whatever. Uh, good for her, I guess, right? Good for her. Is that what I'm supposed job, to say? Good job, Linda. Great job, Linda. Correct? I'm supposed yes. to say good for you, Linda. Yes. I applaud you, Linda. Anyway, thank you very much for that news you can't use. And we all know what that music means. It means we've come to the end of the show. I want to thank everyone for listening. Have a great week. And most importantly, take it easy. Until next time. Thank you for listening to The Marcus Warren Show. For more information or to request your retirement toolkit, contact Marcus at 502-339-8255 or visit his website at talktomarcus.com.
Warren Wealth Management and Tax Planning and WGTK are not affiliated. Exposure to ideas and financial vehicles discussed should not be considered investment advice or recommendations to buy or sell any financial vehicle. This information should not be considered tax or legal advice. Individuals should consult with a professional specializing in the fields of tax, legal, accounting, or investments regarding the applicability of this information for their situation. Past performance is not a guarantee of future results. Investments will fluctuate and when redeemed may be worth more or less than when originally invested.